and welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 97, Pet Cemetery from 1989. The Undead Wookiee is a monthly podcast focused on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times when we dip into other genres, because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back! Hiya guys, sorry there's been a big delay in between episodes, but unfortunately, I've been caught... By the dreaded Lurg, that's right. Unfortunately, I came down with COVID and I have been really, really struggling uh, with what looks like long COVID and a few other bits and bobs as well. So it's been a really, really difficult period, but fingers crossed we are slowly, slowly but surely creeping back to our best ish whatever that is on this show so thank you for being so patient we've got a great show lined up for you in this one this was recorded a little while back so before i introduce my fantastic co-host on this episode let's check out the trailer for pet cemetery 1989 at the edge of the woods behind the creed's new house is the old animal graveyard the place where devoted pets are laid to rest. Daddy, is church all right? What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him. Why, Judd? I had no reasons. What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was a secret. But some don't stay. <laughs> Bless you and keep you. No! May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts. That's not thought of, Lois. Daddy's gonna do something really bad. That's why no one ever buried a human being out there. You're thinking of putting them up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. And why nothing ever rests in peace. If it doesn't work, I'll just put him back to sleep. Paramount Pictures presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Gage. First I played as Judd. Mommy came. I played with mommy. We had an awful good time. What did you do? Pet Cemetery. Now I'm going to play with you. <laughs> and we are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by the maestro of mayhem over at Retro Movie Geek. The one, the only, the leader of the gang, Mr. Joe Robinson. How are you, sir? How the devil are you? I am doing splendid. I am. I am doing uh, amazing. I love that I'm the maestro of mayhem. That would imply <laughs> that there is anything approaching some sort of orchestrated, like like as if there's a symphony that is results from <laughs> what we do at Retro Movie Geek. And I think you and I both know that is not true. Um, it's more like a bunch of pots and pans being band- banged together. <laughs> occasional you know like 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 a three-year-old with a violin you know like yeah. that kind of, you know? it's more like that but i do appreciate the uh the turn of phrase i mean i it, i say it all the time it is one of my 
favourite shows to listen to. I absolutely love you guys. And there are times, and I, you know, Daryl's been on recently, and I was saying, to, there are times I have been screaming, laughing in the car. Uh, <laughs> and people have stopped, you know, are clearly looking at me as if I'm having some kind of breakdown. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and honestly, that is to me one of the greatest compliments that anybody ever gives for that show is that when they're like oh like i remember a long time ago we had a listener uh and she sent us a message about how she'd been really been having a really bad day at work or something and and how she had listened to an episode this is actually i think maybe even back when it was forgotten flick so i think yeah. it may have been been me and jason grooms that were doing it that then um and how it just she just was like laughing and it just brightened her day and it's like oh you know that that's awesome like that, that i'm good i'm good that, and that right helps. now in this current climate it's what's needed. It is certainly what's needed. Um, really? Something going on? Because oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Florida, so I mean... Oh, yeah, anything goes down there, and it's just... Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I've heard rumblings that there's things happening, but, you know, we're the sunshine state. <laughs> so everything, everything is always hunky-dory here. I don't know. I think I'm in my... We're in our third lockdown here in Wales, so I, I think I'm in, like... I don't know that we've ever officially had a first... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, hey, just so we're clear, I and my family mask up, so don't get all, don't jump on you. Uh, Send your letters to <laughs> Daryl. At... Now, I appreciate that. Today, uh, on this episode, we are talking uh, one of my favorites, uh, and it's one of my favorite books, and it's one of my favorite films, uh, is we are talking Pet Cemetery from 1989. Um, and rewatching it again recently, I I'd forgotten how much this film can really get under your skin in yes. that unnerving, really creepy way. Um, now, I don't. Do you find that with this one that it creeps up on you? Yes. Which, by the way, I I, I love that. That's it. Sounds like a little bit of a uh, like you're paraphrasing the uh, Stephen King, Jordy Verrill. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> up on you was that what is it called was it they're creeping up on you yes yeah yeah, yeah that's it yeah creep show. sorry um I, I but ladies and gentlemen i have add so i might jump all over the place i'll warn you in advance um so this movie still affects me um uh, when i started uh co-hosting on horror movie podcast and they forced me literally at gunpoint okay maybe that's not literal but it felt <laughs> like it that i had to come up with a top 10 horror movies of all time list which by the way hugh i don't know if you've tried to actually do that and then be held to account like you had to present it yeah <laughs> to the audience like it's a real thing and then you're like suddenly rose but wait a minute that means i gotta leave out what yeah. no no i hate that so but i did it and i actually ended up Pet Cemetery was in my top 10. It was my number eight. And it's probably for two reasons. One, there is a nostalgia factor. My dad took me to see this when I was like 13. So when it came out, he took me to see it. Yeah. And it really affected me, obviously, <laughs> as it would. Um, but as I got older and as, you know, once I was in my 20s and I'd see it, it affected me but it affected me differently. And then once I had kids, <laughs> it really affected me and it affected me differently. But throughout all of that, the way it affects me, it's it's not just that it's horrifying and terrifying and Rachel. Oh. And <laughs> we'll get to that. But it's not just that, which still gets to me, but it's that it's a real emotion. And that like I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. Every single time. And, and how I, I'm trying to remember, how spoilery do you get? Oh, I, I, just look, the film came out in 89. If you haven't seen I'm, it, 
pause this, watch it come back. If you stick it out to the end and you whinge that we spoiled it, it was tough shit. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. I, I felt like that would be your attitude from the episodes of your <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure because I'm very like I try to be very courteous about spoilers. That's how I am. But anyway, I every time gauge. Yeah. Every time with the semi. Every time it, it when I was a kid, it horrified me because it just like that was the first time I think I ever saw in film a kid die. Yeah. Uh, and uh, although the interesting side note, my dad also took me to see Lord of the Flies that same year. Which, <laughs> children dying so i don't know what he was sending me a message maybe like i better you know ship up or or die uh anyway so i felt like then like as as a kid it was just horrifying to see that but then obviously as an adult just that idea just that idea that you would you know having kids and i mean they've gotten away from me so i know that panicked feeling Mm. Of like you're just even heck. I remember my when my I have three sons and they'd be really young and just holding on to them. And if you were walking past a busy road and a semi or something comes by and just that rumbling in the and just yeah. like you just feel yourself tighten up and like squeeze harder. Yeah, like, you know, because it's it's such a horrifying an idea and that idea of them being just out of reach and that the horror of that moment like that is hereditary level horror. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that. Did it for Mary Lambert, 89 Pet Cemetery hit that hereditary level horror of like the grief and the tragedy and the loss that you would experience. Um, and I will say, in at least in Pet Cemetery, I find it far more palatable <laughs> than I did with hereditary because hereditary, I still haven't been able to watch again because it was so upsetting. But yes, another, I mean, that uh, is that is a whole other level, but it I mean, whole, it, it, yes, amps it up now. Obviously, this king, your king has spoken about this on a number of occasions that. This is his darkest work. Um, and there's a brilliant, um, the foreword in the book um, talks about these are things that he was terrified of himself. And there was a moment after he'd finished writing it, he didn't know whether or not um, he was going to, he was going to publish it. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he didn't feel, he felt it was too dark. He felt that he had gone too far. Um and he wasn't quite sure whether to publish it or not. And, like, you know, lots of the sayings that uh, particularly um, good old uh, Judd comes up with, these are sayings that, you know, he, he, people around him say. Um, these are, you know, there are things where he's, you know, witnessed, like, the truck going by. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the, like, like you've spoken about, all these things, he talks about it being so deeply personal. But then that, I think in so many ways that makes the horror for this. Yes, that makes the horror. Yes, and uh, I'm sure you know the story that his about his son. I think it was Owen. Yes, you know, about how he ran. He was like around the age Gage was, and he was running for this the road, and he yeah. grabbed him just at the last second. And and only King, right? The rest of us have that moment, <laughs> and we pretty much just don't even want to think about it again. Like what could have happened? King goes, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs> I just got an idea. Kids screaming, and you could just imagine him just sort of like almost sort of like kneeling on the child, trying to keep him pinned down, getting a little notebook out, going, <laughs> "Oh, it's still. I got an idea, son. I got to write this down." <laughs> <laughs> now, this, of course, uh, released in 1989, uh, directed by Mary Lambert. Um, famously, did a lot of work for Madonna. Did a lot of Madonna's music videos um, before before moving into features. Um, stars Dale Mid uh, Midkiff, yes, the wonderful, wonderful Fred Gwynn. 
Oh, I love him so much. He's <laughs> just, really he's just superb in this. Yes, just he really is. Wonderful. Um, Denise Crosby is in this. Uh, Brad uh, Greenquist, uh, Michael Lambert, uh, Michael Hughes, uh, Andrew Huberstack plays Zelda, and Susan, uh, is it Susan Bloomberry? Blumart. I think it's Blumart. 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 Blumart, yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is a good cast. It's a strong cast. Yes. Yes. And I want to come to, not that, not that he needs me to defend him, but every time I watch this movie, I'm always reminded that I, I hear a lot of people have a problem. Not, well, I shouldn't say a lot. I've heard people have a problem. Some people <laughs> have a problem with Dale Midkiff and his performance. Yes. And I will make the argument. First off, I don't think it's a bad performance. I think it's very understated. It almost reminds me of like a Kevin Costner type performance where he's not doing a lot of emoting. Yes. But then when he does, because I this rewatch of Pet Cemetery, even now, when he loses Gage and his that guttural scream. Yes. And that look on his face. And the intensity he has when he's running, just all of that, like that moment by itself. And that fall, that moment it, it, where he slips and he falls. Oh my God. Oh, it's so horrible. Oh my God. And I, I'm not gonna lie. I get, I, every time I see it, I get choked up and I get teary eyed. Like every time it's, it's pathetic <laughs> every time. Cause it's like every time I want him to make it and, and I know he's not going to make it. No, no. And they do. And the brilliance of Mary Lambert, and I'm going to be obnoxiously, singing the praises of Mary Lambert, the director, um, because her willingness to, A, make this movie, because I think she had made one feature prior yes. to this called Siesta, which I've yeah. never seen. I've never seen and, it. And you brought up the Madonna stuff, which apparently she was working on the Like a Prayer video. She was editing it. She had shot it and was working on that when they brought her Pet Cemetery, <laughs> which is kind of cool. And... She basically talks about how, you know, she's like, I didn't think of myself as a horror filmmaker, blah, blah, blah. But I think her her visual sense and her willingness to show restraint mm. at the right time, like the fact that all you get from Gage being hit by a truck like, in the it's been a long since I've, since I've read the book. And, and I know you've been reading it more recently again. So I don't know if you've gotten to that part yet, but I recall there's some insinuation that he's basically obliterated. Oh As yeah, you... there is there, there's little little gauge bits of gauge everywhere. Yeah. yeah, like they have to like reassemble. Yes. Him. And which I mean that kind of makes sense. The guy's going like 80 miles an hour down a backcountry road yeah. in a truck. I you know, not going to be pretty for anybody who gets hit yes. by that. Small child so, versus truck. Yeah, and all you get is that little shoe in slow oh. motion with the, and then the dad's no, and just the slow motion and that how it carries over that quick montage yes. of all those baby photos. Dude, that gets me every, even now saying it, I'm, <laughs> I, it gets me because that, that's, what's so powerful about the film yeah. is it's not just, it's a horror movie, right? And I shouldn't say just a horror because I think, you know, I, I love whole horror movies, yeah. but it, it, it goes to like this other level. Oh, completely, completely. Motion. The, but we, but I think if you'd shown it, like if you'd shown more, it would have been too, it would have been, it, it's like that. I always remember there's a documentary from the, I think the BBC put it out 
in the early 90s called Fear in the Dark. Christopher Lee narrated yes, it. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I, lo- I used to watch the hell out of that thing, man. I had it on VHS, just watched it over and over again. I just loved it. And I remember it was Carpenter. Uh, John Carpenter was in it. And uh, I believe it was him who talked about that there was a line. And the audience trusts you not to cross that line. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's part of the uh, like, almost like social contract horror filmmakers have with the audience like you know and and that's that and that builds into the fear like what are you going to show me you're going to show me something i can't handle and he used example of texas chainsaw massacre i think that if he felt like that was a movie that walked right up to the line and it never quite crossed it yes and because it crossed it it's almost like you could leave and feel this almost like pacification on your soul like yeah gave you, yeah and i feel like that's what this movie does too this movie is dark it's disturbing it is just, I mean, horrifying in very emotional ways, but it does that. It rides that line because when it needs to be, you know, gory and intense, and I'm not, I have no problem with gore, no. but it's like, you know what I mean? It's, and like, there's a difference between like Peter Jackson, uh, uh, you know, brain dead, AKA yeah. dead alive yeah. gore. And like, it's, it's like that kind of over the top. It's fun. It's goofy, you know, evil dead too. But in something like this, I felt like, it could easily slip into like it, it just bad taste and it wouldn't have been and not and again not peter jackson's bad taste no. uh, <laughs> bad taste that would not have been enjoyable like it wouldn't no, have been no no not at all and i mean like if you think about victor pascal i mean yeah. if you look at the just very very quickly just for anybody who's not seen this and i don't know why you're listening to a pet cemetery podcast if you haven't seen it but um obviously the the plot for this revolves around a new f- uh, family who moved to uh the uh, a, a sort of more rural setting and uh just unfortunately for them events transpire but luckily enough there is a indian burial ground that if you bury your pet or a loved one they'll come back but they come back as slightly different psychotic mm-hmm. and cannibalistic is generally well, yes. how it works um <clears throat> but we also get in this we get um the character of victor pascal who is hit by again he's, he was hit by a truck as well wasn't he i believe so yeah he was on his bike and yes. he was on the campus that lewis creed is working on yeah the head injury oh, that he it's suffers it's brutal it's it's oozing and it's yep. bleeding and it's, it's stick like it's it's very and i remember that mo- to this day i remember sitting in the theater and that being the because like, it's it's a very hard cut if i right oh, it's yeah like it's, yeah you go from lewis with his family he has a little tip with his wife okay they make up okay cute he le- you know have a good day at work you know and then boom close up basically of yeah. this kid dying with his brain hanging out of his skull and i mean i must have seen i've seen this film a lot and mm-hmm. i still jump yeah when he grabs hold of him and he delivers the line about the soil of a man's heart is stonier <laughs> it's just like oh my god <laughs> yeah great hey, yeah, brad, brad greenquist's performance is so good um I, I mentioned before we started recording there's a great documentary called unearthed and untold the path to pet cemetery yeah that these guys who are fans of it did it's it's on blu-ray you can get it i think actually i don't know if it's outside of the united states available but on amazon prime in the states i know you can it's i think free to watch on prime mm. uh, if you have prime so it's really good, though. And on the DVD or the Blu-ray, it's got a ton of extras on top of the documentary. So 
but they interview Brad Greenquist in it, and he talks about Victor Pascal. And I think in this interview, as well as in um, some of the extras that are in the Pet Cemetery Blu-ray, he talks about that his performance was essentially informed by the idea that he and Mary Lambert came up with that he was not a ghost. Like he wasn't going to approach it as a ghost. He was a, an angel. He was like mm. a guardian angel, just yeah. one that happened to look extremely grotesque. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that he, he's, he's almost like the sort of, in the sim, similar kind of way you get Dave um, um, in American Werewolf in London. Yes. You yep. know, the, the best yep. friend coming back. But it's that idea that, you know, that, you know Lewis helped him. So yep. now he is going to try his best. He's going to do everything he can to help yeah. him. What's interesting though, in the book, he only appears once. He only appears he's, once in the book. He's he's very it's only there. But yeah. what we get here is we get this this pardon the pun, fully fleshed out character. Um and you know, even towards when we get towards the end of the film, where um oh Denise Crosby's character is desperately trying to get back and he's he's appearing and he's doing everything he can to help. There's this mm-hmm. it's it's quite comedic at times. It is. Uh, yes, I was going to bring that up. I absolutely. That's what I love is that even and I think that's one of the reasons why this movie works so well. I, oh, look again. Loved Hereditary. Fantastic yeah. film. But I find it like the idea of sitting through it again is like the other day. I actually did not not to completely derail this, but to put it in perspective, I watched one of those reaction videos on YouTube of these yeah. younger guys <laughs> watching it. Just because, and as they're reacting to it and the horror that they were, I was like, yeah, see, that's why I don't, I don't know that I want to sit to this again. <laughs> well, it's like, it's, it's like um, Irreversible, the French film. Which I will not, I, I know of it. I haven't seen it. I have no, I, I've heard enough to know, yeah, not my cup of tea. But... I remember sitting there watching it and for, a, it finished and not being able to move. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, I don't. I can appreciate that experience, and I think it's one of those experiences that, as a horror fan, it's good to have because so few horror movies really affect me anymore because I've seen so many yes. of them. Yeah. So when I get to one like that, but at the same time, I don't really love that. <laughs> I yeah, don't, I don't but, want to sit there and be, you know, and tra- and have some kind of deep-seated trauma exactly. from it. Cemetery, but, it's like it's horrifying in all the right ways, yet it's palatable. <laughs> it's it's like you can still feel safe within its confines. Absolutely. And I think it's like that with the Pasco because it is, there's humor there. And it, I I mean, Hitchcock talks about, talked about it all the time. And I mentioned this quite a few on the, on the show is the audience needs the release. Yes. Because you can't keep an audience at that peak of terror all the time because it's exhausting. And then you go beyond it. But if you give them the release and they recover, and then you can take them back to it, and then they can recover again, and then you can take them back to it. And those little moments, because that, you know, let's be, you know, this ending, it doesn't end well for anybody. No. You know, first of all, the cat. When the cat snuffs it and they bury him, um, that cat comes back mean as hell. Mm-hmm. Mean, I mean, cats are mean anyway. You know, my mother's cat is a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> and, we had li- a, and had lies one. in wait so yeah. you go yeah. past and it just attacks you yeah just you know but this cat is like really mean really yeah. mean and when he drops the rat into the bath oh. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's a great and I'll tell you, I think they said they had like somewhere between seven and nine cats <sighs> that they used for different things and I gotta say man 
as cat performances go, oh, it's superb. really good. It's really good because I, I that at the end when Lewis injects it right to kill it, yes, that cat had to like that did not look like a fake cat at any point. No, even when he lays it down and it's still and he kind of lifts it up with a scruff of the neck and drops it. A little bit, you know, you know yeah. I'm talking about, I was like, I was looking, you could see its eyes. It doesn't look like, a, I think that was the real cat. So somehow they trained a freaking cat to play dead. I mean, how do you train a cat? I mean, the one thing I did write down when I was making some notes in this is when uh, Churchill first dies mm-hmm. and they find him on Fred Gwynn's lawn. Yes. I wrote stiff cat. Yes. Because the noise it makes when they peel oh, the cat what, off. What was it? What was uh, what was uh, Judd's say? Is that sound like a piece of ticket tape, co- a tacky tape coming off a leather? Or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That right kind of sound. Yeah, and that cat looked quote unquote fake, but it looked like a dead cat. Yes, it I actually did. remember. I don't know if they made you do this in school, but in my high school. In the 90s, even like as I graduated in 94, so it's been like 92, 93 in that time frame, I had an anatomy class, and we actually dissected dead cats. No. They, act- no, they no. actually used dead cats. I know anybody listening says, what? <laughs> I, I doubt they do it anymore. They got them from some lab. I guess that's what they were used I, I i don't know what the all the reasoning was but they would come in these little bags and you'd open it and that and i gotta be honest with you that dead cat and pet cemetery pretty much looked like what they look like <laughs> in anatomy class no no i mean i went to an old boys school so it was repressive brutal and violent in many many ways um <laughs> Like the cat, yeah, but we never had dissecting any animals in there. I mean, emotionally, it stunted me for a very, very you know, for, for several reasons. You know, that idea yeah. of seeing a female was <laughs> just like you universally mind blowing. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I think that you know, with church and that whole. And it's funny because the one on the uh, the sort of the I always think of it as like the famous Pet Cemetery book cover. Yeah. The one from the 80s and the one that I remember seeing as a kid, like that cat doesn't look like the church that's in this movie. No. In fact, that, the one that they got for the new movie, the new version of Pet Cemetery, that cat was perfect. Like as far as if you're going based on what that art was from that yes. original yeah. book cover. That was a perfect cat. Yes. But this church is really unsettling. There's just something about him. And and of course, I love that this is, you know, pre-using CGI for stuff. So apparently that effect to make his eyes glow. All I think they did something like where they, I can't remember, they explained it in the documentary, but it was like they took light, a certain type of light, and they sh- would shine it. And I guess knowing that a cat's eyes are so highly sensitive. Yeah, reflective. It would just catch it right in the, the way they set up the lens, and it would just catch it. And it's like nobody, no, no other aspect of the scene was affected, but the eyes of the cat would glow. It's like, yeah. yeah, that's an awesome effect. Yeah, and like from that moment on, I mean, there is the, the, what what this film does really, really well, and it does it throughout. There is brilliant foreshadowing throughout this film, from the second they arrive at their new house, and that yes. first truck goes by. It's like, oh, this isn't going to end well. Yeah, this is and not going to end well at absolutely. all. Yeah, and it's interesting to note that Judd grabs Gage. Like Gage is going yes. to the room, right? We're getting that, and he saves Gage. But in fact, he—if you really get down into it—is the reason why Gage dies. Because if he doesn't take Lewis there to bury the cat, yeah, that whatever that force is does not lead to Gage dying. Yes, and it's an interesting thing. So he saved him there, but he ultimately ends up resulting in his death. And did you catch? Speaking of foreshadowing, did you catch? Because this is like the first time I've ever noticed this for some reason that uh, Gage is pushing a truck. Yes, 
in and the house. Hits, and he hits it into a box and goes, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like nice touch. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, 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 it's only sort of, you know, going back and reading the book, listening to the book again on audio and sort of doing a little bit of, you know, research around it is finding out why the ground became cursed. Mm. And as they walk in, like when Fred, uh, when sort of Judd and Lewis are walking to the pet cemetery, um, and you hear this, they stop because they hear this noise, and Judd is looking all really spooked out, and they, and he says, "Oh, it's just a loon." Um, it's not a loon; it's actually a Wendigo. Uh huh. And the, the, what happened was this Wendigo um, sort of moved into this area, into the into the sort of Native American uh, burial ground. And because it was there, it cursed the ground, hmm. and so and like Judd is aware of that. So even though he's a, he's fully aware of the evil that is in this in in this ground and what is going to happen, mm-hmm. it's still he, he still has to, he still goes forward with it, even though he mm-hmm. knows what happened to his dog and he knows yeah. what happened to the to the the poor guy who came back from um from the from the Second World War and they buried him and then he came back and it's just that. They, they, you, just again, this foreshadowing. It's just pouring it on, and yep. it's, it's such it's such an intro, and it's so layered. It's so layered. Yeah, yeah. The uh, by the way, speaking of the Second World War, uh, was his name? Was it Tommy something? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and I, I always get freaked out because that's like a little like a toddler's leg. He's yes. chewing, right? Yeah. That is like that to me. That whole sequence was so dark because it's like on one hand, if you don't have that moment, that little moment, it's weird and creepy. Yeah. But it's like he turns around and he's holding what looks to be just like he tore off some little kid's leg. Yeah, and it's gnawing on. Then he takes his fingers and like, I guess what I'm saying, like Lambert, Timmy Bateman. Timmy Bateman was the Timmy guy. Bateman. Timmy Bateman. Yes. Yes, Timmy. And when he does that, but like, and that's, I mean, that's what I love about the movie is that when Lambert does go there, like she really goes there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we get that, we get that moment. But then in amongst all of that sort of, you know, the flashbacks of that, you get Fred Gwynn's performance and then you get the, you get the, the immortal line. And I think it's, I think you can, everybody who does a a Pet Cemetery uh, podcast is contractually obliged to go, sometimes dad is better. Exactly. Yes, it is. Actually, I think it is written. And Everybody has to do it. Yeah, I, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but and I think like I don't think enough could be said about Fred Gwynn. I mean, I'm also a huge My Cousin Vinny fan. Oh. And I, I he's brilliant in that. And, you know, we actually uh, just covered our Retro Movie Geek uh, I guess it'd be now, now as we, as we record this, probably been at least a month or so back, but we did disorganized crime, which I didn't yeah. like necessarily as like a movie. It's not a classic. He, what's that? It's not a classic. Not a classic. No, definitely not. Uh, I expected far more from a movie starring Ed O'Neill, you know, in, in, in sort of primo married with children time. Yeah. Or, you know, like I'm thinking, okay, you know, give me some Al Bundy here, but Fred Gwynn, regardless, even though the movie itself was not great, he was. And it's yes. like, and I feel like the idea that that guy got typecast. Like, I love the monsters. I loved it as a kid. Um, I watched it as an adult, and I still like it a lot. But the idea, like, that's so stupid and yeah. short sighted. Yeah. Well, you've got this guy who's obviously an extremely gifted actor, and you basically say, "Yeah, but everybody's gonna just assume he's Herman Munster." Like, yeah, because everybody's that stupid. I mean, my kids have seen the monsters, and. Yeah. 
they they were there. You know, my kid, my younger two actually kept like trying to poke in to watch part of the movie, and I'm yeah. like, no, I'm dealing with it. I'm not dealing with it because if you guys see even a, a second of Zelda, you will never leave my room. <laughs> morning i would be getting woken up so they would do the thing where they i could totally tell they were like hanging out in the doorway to like listen in like yeah. you know when you, you're a kid your parents are watching something you're not supposed to or whatever um but the the thing is they came in and said they wanted to see part of it i knew it was a scene that they weren't gonna you know be traumatized yeah. by so they're seeing judd and 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 uh, lewis talk and i was like you know who that is right and they're like, who? I said, that's Herman Munster. And like they had to pause and like staring at him like, oh yeah. But my point being, this is these are kids that have seen the monsters and they didn't like go, like, isn't that Herman Munster? Like, I don't I think the idea that when studios think that way, it's just so short-sighted. I, I gotta give again Mary Lambert total props because she went to bat. She's like, Oh yeah, Wayne is my Judd, and I want him. And I don't care because they were apparently they were playing that game. They were like, oh, everybody's going to think it's Herman Munster and that it's a comedy. Like, who's going to think this is a comedy? <laughs> I think the child being hit by, you know, there was no wah, wah noise when Gage is plowed over. Exactly. Yeah, after he's after he, after that whole horrifying moment, Lewis gets up off the ground, dusts himself off and goes, that's when I was like, oh, shucks. Yeah. And, uh, at the funeral, there's no do 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 no, there was none of that. <laughs> and I think those were artistic choices that uh, Mary Lambert and her team made to say, you know, we are going to make this a comedy. <laughs> I just, I don't, I think that kind of they, they short sightedness. And I'm glad that she wasn't like that. That she figured out that this guy would be amazing. And his performance is so, dude, gentle, and it it's is so natural. And you can imagine, you can, and you can see the hurt. Mm-hmm. Because he 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 knows that he's all he wants to do is save the little girl initially from the heartbreak of realizing yep. what death is. Yep. And at the same time, then he knows that he has put things in motion yep. that are uh, that's gonna that the ramification everything is out of balance now. The world is out of balance. Yeah. And yeah. And you can see the weight of that on him. Yeah. You know. And I think even when it comes up to his death. Um, you know, and you, it, it, that that scene is brutal. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I mean, the second I saw his uh, open back slippers. Oh, I know. You know it's coming, man. It's just like no, go go put a good thick boot on. <laughs> Come on. Don't yeah. do this, friends. Put, 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 yeah. put, put, put a good steel toe cap on. <laughs> But yeah, um, but then the other bit that got me and I totally forgot about was, yes, we get the Achilles tendon slash. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing that's possibly rivaling that is the evil dead pencil through the ankle. Yes. Yep. Um, but he gets his, his, the sides of his mouth slashed and yes. split. Yes. And then he, we're not quite done yet because no. then Gage starts ripping his throat out and drinking his blood. Yeah. You let, can I make this point now? So cut to pre-production okay yeah you've got you've got the screenplay and apparently this again they go into the documentary about this that that script was they pushed it so hard the uh, i can't remember which producer with the main one of the main producers behind it was a woman and i'm trying to i'm 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 cheating a bit here i'm looking at the back well, of the richard rubenstein was one of the producers on it uh... it was richard, and he was actually a a 
female executive, I think, or producer. I can't remember who it was. They say her name at the beginning of the documentary. Doesn't they, yeah, get the documentary, uh, Unearthed and Untold, and you'll know. Yeah. But anyway, she talked about how they that she was you know wanting to do the movie and they kept always like putting it off putting it off well it was like a script that was just done it was like she considered like this perfect script like it didn't need a bunch of rewrites it, mm. it was just like to go and it was right around the writer's strike of 1988 and so they needed movies to produce but they couldn't hire any writers yeah so she that's ended up how being how they got it pushed through but i guess cut to like again back to the whole like well if we hire fred gwynn they'll think it's a comedy you're reading the script. Yeah. You read the script. You know there's going to be a moment where a two and a half year old is going to literally tear the throat out of an old man. <laughs> I just don't get how you you make that leap. But no, anyway. No, I mean, going back to the cast, um, you know, um, Dale Midkiff uh, was not the first choice. Um, they threw around Keith Carradine, um, oh. which would have been interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, mind. Bruce Campbell was in the line in line for it. Was he really? Yeah, Bruce Campbell would have been in line for it. I, I love Bruce Campbell, and and this is of course late eighties Bruce Campbell. Okay, yes. I get. You know, so this is like right after Evil Dead Two, but not Army of Darkness yet. Bruce yeah. Campbell. He's so, not. He's not fully blown ash. No, he's not full blown ash completely. Because you know, you think he still did what Running Time was in that late eighties yeah. or in nineties time frame, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then he did do some kind of borderline, more serious stuff. I, and I think he's a good actor too. I think he could have done it. I just think his, I'm glad he didn't. Cause I think the trajectory of his career would have been completely different. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Completely. Completely. You know. I mean, if you think about Bruce Campbell in maniac cop. Yeah. Wait. You know, yeah. He's a very, it's a, he's a very, very different actor. Yeah, He's totally subdued. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, but but I think again, had he done like a maniac cop and then this, I, I get, I'm not obviously we don't know. He could have Sam was his buddy and they still would have done Army of Darkness possibly. Yeah, and yada, yada yada. But I don't know. I could see this having turned the whole thing. So in my own selfish desire to keep Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell. Yes, <laughs> he didn't do this. Yes, I mean he is. You know, but the the casting in this is so balanced. And mm-hmm. one of the things I love about this is also a film about tension and tensions within the family. Mm-hmm. And everything is quite tense between, um, you know, Lewis and his wife. And you can kind of sense that, you know, she's obviously going through a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we find out why she's going through a lot. And her sort of her, her fear of death. Rachel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I, I don't think, and I explained this to my kids because they were sitting out the door when that you could hear Zelda and yeah. like the look their face just from hearing Zelda. And one of them goes, I want to see what she looks like. And he's like, No, you do not. <laughs> I'm not opening that box yet. <laughs> not yet, kids. No, one day you'll get to see it, but hopefully you'll be, you know, not coming at my room at three o'clock in the morning. To- <laughs> you know what <laughs> will happen is they would have moved out. Yes, that's what I need to do. And then. It. One day there'll be a knock on the door, <laughs> and this you know this thirty-two-year-old. <laughs> I finally saw Pet Cemetery. Uh, uh, can I uh, sleep with you guys? Watch over. Watch over. I get knocked out of my own bed. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, but yeah, the, we 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 do have to talk Zelda because first off, the oh. fact that a lot of people don't realize Zelda was actually played by a man. Yes. Andrew Hubbitsek, I think. Hubbitsek? Yeah, Hubbitsek, yeah. Yeah. Sure, sure, we'll go. 
Um, and the fact he's 18 years old, apparently very, very thin, yeah. thin young man. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, it's a fantastic performance. I mean, he's. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just, I mean, that, and I mean, I know, and, and sort of, you know, Lewis, Lewis, is, he talks about, he sort of, he knows that clinically she would have been insane yeah. at that point. And, yes. you know, I think it's fair to say that, you know, Rachel's parents are just total dicks. They're the worst. They're <laughs> awful. Yes, and we do get to see that at the funeral of Gage, which we didn't really touch on. Like, the death of Gage is bad enough, but that funeral sequence, like, amps the horror up on an emotion. Like, that is hereditary level horror right there. Oh, yeah. How horrifically awful that you would get in, like, a fist fight and knock your dead grandson slash son's coffin and again that just that brilliant touch of mary lambert that we get that the, the top pops open for a second you just see that little arm oh well that's all you get and you're like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and, and just the way that the, you know the, the um the, i think you know, the, the way in which the, the the grandfather then tries to um michael lombard plays the grandfather uh, and he tries to sort of I don't know what happened. I must have lost my mind. And he's just yeah. he's, he's such a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I, I think out of principle I would have kicked his ass. Yeah, yeah. But 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 actually at that point Lewis is like so far gone. Like Lewis is actually probably clinically insane at that yes. point. Yes, he's got that blank just look. And see, I think that's the other thing because I think a lot of people back to I don't want to keep you know beating the dead horse here. But Del Midkiff's performance. I mean, I think a lot of those. I think what a lot of people read is like, oh, it's like this blank wooden type. Of, yeah, but the character needed to be like at yeah. certain points, he's just so detached from reality and what he's willing to do uh, to get his son back. I mean, um, and but also when you look at King's work and this is, I think, and lots and lots of Stephen King's sort of adaptations have suffered with this is that King's characters, the characters he writes what you get in the book is they take place the stories take place inside their minds mm -hmm. and you lose a lot of that translation by automatically putting it on screen so there's only so much that you can really convey with that sure but once you understand that you you kind of get what dale midkiff was doing with that character is that you know lewis everything is in his head and in the book he's a you know he's quite repressed as himself as a character he's very very stoic he doesn't really like a lot of people but you get in you get the lightness and the shade in the book you don't you're not necessarily seeing that on screen because mm -hmm. we are just seeing what Dilmick is going through and we don't get the full internal workings of it and yeah. like you know i think the only real king adaptation that's really nailed it bang on is the Shawshank Redemption. And the reason why yeah. they were able to nail it on is you get Morgan Freeman's just stunning narration. Yeah. Which gives you the insight then into Tim Robbins' character's mind. And then you get that really understated performance from Robbins. But because when we don't get all of that here, I think people will automatically jump to the fact that he's he's wooden. But actually, it's a really solid performance. I think so, too. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. You know, and, like, the other thing is, you know, if you think about, like, we, I mean, we were talking about the Stan TV series. And we think if you think about, like, the Stan TV, the original TV series or TV TV movie miniseries. And then, or you think about Salem's Lot. Mm -hmm. 
the reason why we they kind of you know there's there's this nostalgia element to it but also we get to spend a lot of time with those characters Mm -hmm. here we've got hour and a half yeah hour 40 hour 40 to go on this real roller coaster with the with this family so you're not so you're missing those subtleties and i think it's i think sometimes people are a bit unfair to it yeah yeah, I, I I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And and I think the same thing goes with Denise Crosby. I think that she is perfectly solid yes. as Rachel. Yes. I, I mean, there's only you know at the end of the day, this is Lewis is the main character. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I think that she conveyed what she needed to convey about her you know fear of death and uh, and, and so the story of Zelda and the way she tells it. Um, it's, you know, it is so up. It's like, it's like that again, much like Lewis and that moment with Gage, like her and the Zelda story. Yeah. Or these, these two just moments in this movie that I feel are just profoundly emotional, profoundly disturbing, and they stick with you forever. Like once you've seen this movie, if you don't remember anything, you remember Zelda and you oh. remember Gage. Now, like those things you remember. And then when we get, we'll, you know, we obviously get her flashback where she's feeding her on the bed and mm-hmm. and she's and, and Zelda's character is choking. Oh. It's just awful. It's just it's, terrifying. Yeah. Oh, and her voice, like what she's talking about, like, is, and honestly, I think like, people don't acknowledge it, right? That it's, it's like a horrifying idea for a lot of people. But when, when you're a caretaker of somebody who's going through something horrific and a lot of times, you know, there's that part of you that has the empathy that you like want them to go because or pass because they'll be out of their misery. But then there's also the resentment kicks in for a lot of people. I mean, this isn't, I mean, I'm not speaking for myself or anybody else. I'm just saying simply though, for a lot of people, they go through that, right? Where you, 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 it's, it's a normal reaction. And then the guilt that goes along with that, like, Oh my gosh, how could I want that person? Like, and the fact then you compound that when she was like eight, yeah, (laughs) Rachel was like eight. So obviously like she's horrified and disgusted and freaked out. Those are honest emotions that a person, let alone a child would go through in that scenario. And so like for her to hate her and resent her, it just makes it so much worse, but it's real. Like that yeah. feels very and honest. I, and that's me. the power of pet cemetery actually is the, the true horror of pet cemetery is not the coming back from the dead. It's not mm-hmm. the supernatural elements. It's the it's the real life horror. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the you know it's Zelda, it's um it's Gage's death. Yeah, you know it's the fight at the funeral, and you know th- you know th- that idea you know and and the grief you know that comes with loss, but like yeah. also you get you know this you know Pet Sembry is a film about grief, trauma and resentment, and. Yeah. That is the true horror behind it. That is the that is the that is the, they're the, the those when all of those things collide. That's where you get those true horror moments, and you know it, it, the supernatural elements aren't like you know. Don't get me wrong; they're still really really creepy. And when this film gets up into high gear and we get the gore and everything else, it's right up there. But those real awful moments. <laughs> in this are to do with like you know it's it's just an age-old story isn't it like that humans are the real monsters Mm -hmm. which is just wow and that's why i'm going to say something that 
is probably going to sound weirder than usual for me. <laughs> I, I literally said to my wife after watching this again, I said, what is wrong with me? Like that there's still a part of me. I don't know if it's the way that it was shot uh, or, or just uh, the look and the feel and the settings and the production design, but minus all the really horrific crap, this world that Mary Lambert and her team and crew and cast created, I want to live in. Like I want to go there and I want, there's something about like all the daylight stuff and like when you're just the way it looks and how quaint and just fall like it yeah. is. Like, yeah. Yeah. Something, it's, you know, it's like, you know what it is? It's like Judd's warmth. Like, yes. Judd, even though technically, if you want to really get right down to it, Judd is really not a a good guy. Like, the, he is, like, I feel like Judd's like an ab abuse victim. Like, he's somebody who would keep going back to their abuser and, and convince this time it'll be different. Yeah. You know, yeah. This will be different. This time they, they won't do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. But he's wrong. <laughs> and and as a result, he causes a lot of tragedy and pain to, to some people who didn't ask for it or, or deserve it. Um, but at the same time, there's a warmth to him and, and it's, it's this quality. And I feel that in the whole movie, it's like the whole movie is permeated with that. Like I yeah. feel that. Yeah, set. absolutely. And I mean, if you look at, and I'm going to get, you know, and I don't panic, I'll kick my own ass for saying this. If you look at like the, the maison scene of King <laughs> adaptations yes, from about 86 up to about 2000, mm -hmm. they all have this very very similar feel to them yes they all it's sort of i don't want to be disrespectful to say tv movie quality mm -hmm. i know what you mean but there is that real feel to and i mean it starts with i you know i find oh god this sounds so bizarre i find maximum overdrive quite comforting to watch yes i know dude hey i find sleepwalkers comforting yes <laughs> I don't know what it is. No, it's but it's true. I mean, I, yeah. let's be honest with you. If you, let, 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 The plot of Sleepwalkers is a pair of incestuous creatures, creatures. that his son bangs his mother. Yes. <laughs> to feed her. Like, that's literally what it's about. Yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> Cat creatures. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it, has, and it has amazing, like, lines where they shove a... A, a a pencil through the the cop's ear and he says cop cop kebab or the, yeah. or the mother takes an ear of corn and shoves it through the back of a police officer and says something to the effect of like you know it, it, no vegetables no dessert or yeah it's, and I mean you know let, let, you know if you think like maximum overdrive yeah it's about killer utensils and <laughs> and ATM machines and ATM no, Honey, was this it. machine call me an asshole. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Or, or the uh, the the Coke machine. That's the one that kills the guy. Really, I, I mean, it. I love that scene. Uh, it's just oh, yeah. so Roller. ridiculous. The steamroller. Yeah. <laughs> it's just insane. It's I, insane. I, maybe the pre eighty six because Silver Bullet's eighty five, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silver has more of a cinematic vibe. I think of what you're like. You know what it is? I think. <sighs> There's a general look to a lot of movies, especially ones that came out like in the very early '90s yes. too, right? Like Doctor Giggles. That's another one that comes oh. to mind. You know, talking about like, yes. I don't know what it is about it, but it does it for me. <laughs> it's, totally... it's like the Rune Stone. Have you ever seen the Rune Stone? Oh, is it... that's not a full moon movie, is it? Uh, no, it's not a full moon movie. I think it's a New World. Okay, new, new world. Stole, but I know, no, I don't think I've seen it. But it uh, basically, it's about this like um, they find this uh, this large 
stone that's got that that, it, that it, Vikings have trapped um, like this creature inside it, and then it's coming out and possessing uh, this guy in a museum and killing people. It's a terrible film. Yeah, on multiple multiple levels. Yep, I love it. Yeah, of course you do because you are awesome. Yeah, because it's nineteen ninety one. I am. Yeah. I, I right now, right now, hanging on my wall in my my little geek my geekdom, aka also known as my garage. Yeah. I, have, I have a theatrical poster and and video store posters, which I'm very very prone to getting. Uh, Fright Night Two, um, Basket Case Three, oh. Doll Man versus <gasps> Demonic Toys. God bless you, Charles Band. <laughs> And the chilling, oh. which, which is a Dan Haggerty, Troy Donahue. I think yes. Linda Blair is in it. Movie, yeah. yeah. So, and I have like I have the poster for Howling Six, the Freaks. Oh, in my opinion, the best Howling movie. Howling movie, just this side of the original. I think the other. What's the? What, is it part five hundred, which is the marsupials? That's that was great, three. That was three. Yes, that was Howling Three. Uh, that that was the one that was like in the outback, right? The, yeah. The yeah. yeah. Yeah, two is your sister's a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> we never forget that. But anyway, but my point being is I, especially like I will go, dude, I will go and get on eBay and spend an inordinate amount of time looking up specifically horror movie posters circa like 1989 all the way through to like 92. Sometimes I'll go 93, 94, but because that's like the cut, that's like the tail end of my high school yeah. year. Yeah. Because there's something about that window for me, because it's probably because it's a sweet spot. I'm like 14, yeah. 15. I was like that sweet spot. I was getting knee deep in horror, Fango every issue. Yeah. I had my 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 I, my entire wall of my bedroom was like literally a collage of horror that I cut out of like Fango issues. And it's in hindsight, and I'm like, why did you cut them up, you moron? <laughs> <laughs> but that aside, um, you know the the it was. But yet there's something about like. If when Leprechaun came out, I was there opening weekend. Oh my Dr. god! Do you know what? I remember seeing Leprechaun because obviously in the UK, you know, people yeah. forget this in the age of streaming. We get things. We we still get things slightly later in the UK, mm. and I remember reading about Leprechaun in Fangoria and mm-hmm. just thinking, "This is amazing." Yes. This is amazing. <laughs> yes. Why is this not winning Oscars? Yeah. Why is this not? <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Giggles brain scan was that the <gasps> yeah uh, brain scan yeah, yeah yeah you know yep. shocker oh. yes oh come on man you yes. know and and, sure. and I, you know on every single level these films are, you know are not great films but they by, are by standards but yet they are <laughs> on every yeah for every you know for every person who has said you know oh have you seen Parasite it's like well well no because. I'm gonna watch Shocker or Humanoids from the Deep, or I'm gonna watch yeah. Dollman or yeah. Trancers. Yeah. Oh God, I love Trancers so much. You and know. the some of the sequels are pretty good too. Thank yes. you very much. Yes, they speaking are. of sequels and speaking of movies from that era that we're speaking of, I haven't seen it in a while, but I've always been a fan of Pet Cemetery too, which Mary Lambert also directed. Do you know what? It's got Clancy Brown. Yes, and it's a bonkers film. Yeah. Yes, it's, it is. Edward Furlong's in it and I, Anthony Edwards, right? Isn't he yeah, his dad? Yeah. And I, I think saw it 10 to 15 years ago, the last time I saw it. But I've always liked and again, it. also has that vibe. And and I, here's what I've concluded to. And maybe this is it here. I feel like I may be, you know, going out on a limb. And I know this. Everybody's listening and saying, OK, you're going to talk about Pet Cemetery again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but Hugh and I have just hit the we're a kindred spirit thing here. <laughs> uh, that 
there's something about the way literally the movies were shot then, not oh. just not just the aesthetic, which I'm a fan of, the look, which I love. I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh, it's it's flat, it's too brightly lit." It's, there's something about the look of them that works for me, man. Absolutely. And maybe it's pure nostalgia. Oh well, <laughs> it works. Yeah, it works absolutely. And you know, people say, "Oh God," you know, and everybody automatically when people say it's overlit, you just want to go, "Be quiet, shush, <laughs> shut your mouth." You're being a twat. Shush. No. No. I get critters too. I get critters too is not great, but by God, it I love it. Oh, I love it too. I absolutely. I love critters well, but I love critters too. I love Mick Garris movies. Dang it! Yes. I don't care who. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm not saying this in like an apologist, like, oh, it's a guilty. No, first of all, I don't like the words guilty pleasure. No, I don't. I don't like them. I think I call them sentimental favorites. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But I'm not calling it, I don't feel guilty. I forgot. You will walk into my garage and you will see a poster for Basket Case 3, okay? <laughs> my right, wife regularly says, what shit are you watching now? <laughs> At least she just lays it out there. Though. I mean, She's I was like, watching Children of the Corn Part 2. Of course, which is uh, not bad. I, I saw that in the theater, dude. They played that adult theater uh, back in the 90s. I remember seeing that. And she, it was, she was sat there and she was trying to do some work. And she turned around and she looked at me and she said, really? I said, yeah, they just want to drop a house on an old lady. <laughs> it, wor- it worked at Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. She just shook her head and I said, I'll, 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 I'll come back to this. <laughs> yep. That's the one where the kids get adopted. Yes. Okay. Yep. I saw that. I remember seeing that in the theater. Yeah. Yep. No paperwork. They just adopt them. Yeah, of course. Well, that's what you do. You line After- them all up on a bus. Okay. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, it's it's like there's something about the aesthetic. But I think here's my other argument. These all of those movies in that early 90s, especially time frame that always get lambasted there. You know, whenever anybody's having the conversation about great horror, mm. it's always 80s, right? 70s. And, and I get and then scream <laughs> and then yeah. you know, a few movies after that. But and, and, I'm, and I'm on board with that discussion. But I kind of feel like that late 80s, early 90s window always gets short shrift. No one ever appreciates these. You know, these are movies made by people who are trying to entertain other people. And I just feel like there's this, let's say, yeah, sometimes a snobby kind of elitist vibe. Like, oh, those movies are, nah, yeah, yeah. but for me, I love them. And I honestly think that one of the reasons why it has to do with how they were shot, because think about pre-CGI. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you blocked a scene, you had to, it's like a magic trick, right? You have to hide so much stuff. You can't show every little thing. You can, Whereas now with CGI, and look, and, and people feel the way they do about CGI one or the other. If it's good and it's like not distracting, I'm fine. I'm totally fine with it. But the problem is, it. but what it does is it does inform the way shots are even done, right? Because you don't have to cut away. You don't have to. No, no. and I get, mean, you know, yeah. one thing that you can do is if you think, oh, hang on a second, you know, let's just whack a bit of green over here. Mm-hmm. We'll light this part here and then we can take this from there and that from there and then we can put it there and it's seamless. And the artistry of something like Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. like uh, even Pet Cemetery 2, um, is it's 100% practical. It's yep. 100% practical. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you yeah. look at that, You know, I mean... The one moment for me that really does it in terms of like the practical effects in this is when um, Rachel comes back from the dead at the end. Oh my God. I was hoping you're going to bring this up, dude. It is so gnarly. 
and her <laughs> eye starts oozing. oozing. And, and he French kisses her. It's, it's oozing. Do you can see his tongue? You see the pussy ooze go down that dude's tongue. If you look, yeah. and I did, yes. and it's gross. <laughs> it's so gross. And, you know, it's it, but that moment. Oh God. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it, in oh, that moment, it's, it's yeah. there is no, you know, I, I, you know, and I think this is where the, and I, I'm going to mention the elephant in the room, the remake. Yeah, well, the remake <laughs> feels like it's got they, they they've got all the beats there. Mm-hmm. Um, or to quote, you know, to quote Morecambe and Wise, I may I I'm you know I'm I know all of the notes, but I may not be playing them in the right order. <laughs> Yes, you know, and, and I'm paraphrasing there because somebody may may correct me on that. But it's everything is there. Yeah, yeah. But actually, there's something missing from it. There's a bit of, and I think some of that goes back. And I, I talk about it all that we say about this all the time. You go to the video store, you mm-hmm. would pay, you know, the the you know the the king's ransom of one pound fifty mm-hmm. to rent a film. Mm-hmm. That film could be diabolical. But you've paid for it. Mm-hmm. You're going to watch it to the end. Yep. And that way, you stumble across so many things. You know, you 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 see everything. You watch everything. You get these great covers. You get these great posters that you see. There's yep. a whole experience that goes along with that. And mm-hmm. lots of these '90s films, thinner, for example. Yes. You know, if we talk about Lesser King's project, you know, mm-hmm. thinner is terrible. Terrible. I like it. <laughs> Thinner. <laughs> but equally, you know, and you see the guy, the fat suit is like, oh, this is just, it's yeah. no, it's no Rick Baker doing Nutty Professor. But yeah. at the same time, there is something about watching that film. There yeah. is something that you, that you just sort of, that bypasses you. It just washes over you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's... And, and with the re, I do want to say with we, we talked about this before. I think we started recording yeah. that it's kind of hard to call it a remake because it's based on this work. It's sort of like every time they do Romeo and Juliet, that's yes. not a remake. It's just a new version. So I, I think to be fair, I'll even say it's just a different version. It's a different take mm. on that material. Here's where I had a big problem. In fact, I, this is a massive spoiler. Although if you've seen the freaking trailer for the dumb thing, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. But let's just say if you if you haven't seen the 2019 was it? It was 2019. 2019 all the years yeah, 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 yeah. Blended together at this point. I think it was 2019. Um, if you haven't seen it over like the next 15 to 30 seconds, please fast forward. Okay, <laughs> starting now. The fact that they switch out which kid gets killed by the truck. Yeah. The I under I can understand on one level. First off, it was like, oh, let's kind of mix things up and an unexpected twist. Which again, <laughs> unless you saw the trailer, because they kind of gave it away in that. Yeah. Um, and then, but even if you go there, like it's horrifying no matter what kid. Right. But it's, it's such a much increased level of horror that it was the baby. OK, I'm sorry. It's like they're horrible. Both of them are horrible. It's Sophie's choice. You can't. Pick. Yes. Yes. But it's there's it's still amped up to another level. And I understand the argument could be made is that it's it's more quote unquote. It can make it more believable that, you know, when she acts like she's just killing monster. But I'll say this. Miko Hughes, that little kid was like three years old and his performance. Oh, it's great. It's from. Cool. Tremendous. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, good. But it's missing something. It's missing this 
this, um, like I said, it it's missing a bit of soul. The, the new version. I think you meant yeah. Miko's performance. Okay, no, 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 you, no, 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 no. The, 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 it's stunning. It's, it's incredible. But, yeah, the new version, yes. Yeah, the new yeah. version. But yeah. the new That's, version is missing a bit of soul. There's a yes, there, and I'll tell you right now. I know this is going to sound superficial, but I think it's twofold. Now I don't know that they didn't shoot it. I, I, I'm not sure where they shot the the newer version. The original was the first King movie to ever be shot in Maine. Yes, at his insistence. Yeah, and 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 I think that that is actually one of the like another one of the strongest elements of it is just because that character of that area really comes through that film. Another movie, by the way, that I don't know if it was shot in Maine, but it has just a similar vibe as far as uh, the way it plays out is the TV version of It, which yes. I'm also massive master. In fact, I like it better than the new one. Sorry, um, but <laughs> <laughs> although I will acknowledge the ending, even though in both of them it's kind of ridiculous because you know it's King. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the, but I do I do appreciate that it's more effective in the new one. Um, a little bit. Is, it works slightly better. <laughs> slightly better. I, I do love uh, was it um, uh, Bill Hader's like when that way he does that thing with his face where he gets yeah. like anyway sorry. Uh, but the but the um, oh crap where was I going with that? I hate that one. Okay I know what it was. The the one of the things that drives me the most crazy <laughs> about the new version and it's petty but I knew it from the second I saw the trailer and this is the part the heart the soul that you're referring to yeah. that's missing. Judd. Yeah. The Skell was not a bad casting choice. He's a great actor. Fantastic. I think he's a, an amazing actor. Okay. Uh, give me Raising Cane any day of the week. I'm sorry. Oh, the one that popped in my head. It's a great film. It's a great film. <laughs> Thank you. It's one of the few De Palma films I remember liking. Sorry. I know. And, I, and I'm sure you love a lot of De Palma stuff, but I, I don't know why I have this issue with De Palma, but I do. Anyway, that aside. Um, but I think Glass <laughs> was fine. But the, the choice that he, he goes, sometimes. Dead is better. <laughs> like what? Like where is the main act? Like, it, it, there's no kingness to the movie. Like it's no, missing no kingness. You know yes. what I'm talking about? By the way, I think I've hit on one other thing. This is I didn't hate the the newer version of it. Okay, I like the first chapter, yeah. but in the second chapter. Yeah, but, I did. Yeah, yeah. But but here's where my problem with it was. Ready for this? And I'm and I'm a child of the '80s. I I love Stranger Things. Okay, I love the yeah. nostalgia bombs they keep trying to throw on us. You know, to get our money. I get it. I would have on paper loved that it was set in 1989 because I was those kids age in 1989. Yeah. This is perfect. But that's the problem. The problem with a lot of these newer adaptations of King, this is the element they're missing. The 1950s Americana. And it doesn't have to be that it all takes place in the 50s. But one of the things I've thought about is like things that take place in the 80s that are made now. And I think Stranger Things may have been one of the few that got it right. And it's almost go back to your point about like how the 89 Pet Cemetery, there's just almost like this magic, this yeah. soul, there's something that you can't quite put your finger on. I believe Wes Craven, uh, one of the Scream documentaries, talked about that's the thing about art. You just know it when you see it. Like something yes. they talk about the mask and how like all these masks that they developed for for Scream for Ghostface, just they were just missing something. And then that original, it just had it, and that was why they went with it. So I feel like a lot of these movies have that little magic kernel that you can't recreate, no matter how hard you try. Um, it's just a catching lightning, lightning in a bottle. But with King. And King material, and this is maybe just growing up in the 80s, the 80s in general, and I don't know how it was for you, Hugh, but for me, my dad was a child of the 50s, okay? And my mom was more of the 60s. She was more like the flower child, all that stuff. But still, it was that that influence of those two generations and and like on a guy like King, who also grew up in the 50s, that sort of like taking that, uh, that sort of imagined like Americana idealized version of what America quote unquote was mm. and 
that twisting of it, that that just that, you know, where it's like, what's under the surface? What's there? Like when you think about like uh, sometimes they come back when you think oh, about yeah. Richard, the original it and the fact that it takes place in the summer of 58. When you think about all of that, there's something about that time period because of all the stuff we have in our heads from pop culture that, oh, it's leave it to Beaver. It's this. It's that. And yet, what did they do? They subvert that. And I think that when you had something like the 80s, like when you have It takes place in 1989, by 1989, we all knew about AIDS. Yeah. The fact that those kids do the blood oath, I'm like, bull. I call I call shenanigans. <laughs> they wouldn't have done that. No, of course they, they wouldn't, have. wouldn't have freaking done that. And like that kind of thing, like uh, it pulled me out of the movie. I'm like, wait, what? What? 1958? I totally buy it. Yeah. But I'm not gonna buy it. 1989? I'm sorry. And and it's like and so and also kids swearing in 1958, even though they're just kids and kids being kids, and that's how kids have always talked. Yeah. When you watch Stand by Me, right? Yeah. It's that late fifties, early sixties, and the way they talk and the way they act, it's kind of jarring because you're used to seeing a kid that looks like you know, leave it to Beaver. Yeah, not that way. Absolutely, it's it's it it buys in. It's sort of like you said, it's jarring. It's the verimilicitude of the of it. It is yes. that it, it breaks the world. Yeah, it breaks the yeah. world that it's in. And but that's what's missing. That's what I feel like. Not just the, the King adaptations, but anything that takes place in the 80s, for the most part, not all of it, obviously, but a lot of these ones that try to do what they're missing is the influence of the 50s and even yes. into the 60s on that decade. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember there was like these teen movies? Uh, what was that one with uh, Jason Priestley's like Teen Angel or something? That oh, he was yeah. Heavenly which I love Heavenly Kid. Uh, <laughs> that influence that 50s the greaser the the font like it was all still so permeated in the culture reagan yeah. the regan era like it's also there that when you get to now a lot of people making movies now in my opinion could be wrong but i feel like maybe they're younger so they don't really have that element of the zeitgeist in their head when they're designing this stuff which is why i think the guys who made stranger things are so freaking amazing because yes. they're really young and in my opinion they did they hit it right on the head yes <laughs> they oh, captured gotcha. absolutely nailed it nailed yeah. it but the, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Is we have this idea of Americana. We have this idea of that, you know, and even in the UK, it's very, you know, it, culturally, we, we, there are a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. Sure. But equally, we all have this idealized idea of Americana. Uh, yeah. But then when you just take the tops layer off mm -hmm. of that and there's something darker underneath it, then... People go, ooh, that's 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 really that, that, that's that's quite disturbing. That's quite chilling, and that's what King does so well. That's what, you know, even you know, you look at like sometimes they come back. That yeah. is not in any way a classic piece of King. No, but the the sequel sometimes they come back again. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to be in that meeting. <laughs> what are we going to call the sequel, guys? How about and how about the third? One we go sometimes they come back. Dot, dot, dot. For more? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bagels, anyone? Okay. It's just... <laughs> but uh -oh. it's that sort of... But it's that, you know, and Lynch, David Lynch does it so well. He did it so like in Blue Velvet. Just... That's actually, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Hugh. That is exactly the vibe I'm talking about. It's like that movie has that aesthetic, that, that, that almost like intangible quality. Because Lynch grew up. Yeah. In time. So that influences on him. But whereas by the time you're our age, right, you're in your 30s, your 40s, or, yeah. you know, you probably the influence on us was that generation and their 
you know, influence, but it's almost like we would, I almost feel like if people want to capture the King essence correctly, they need to go back and revisit all the things that influenced him. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. And that's what they need to do. And they need, and honestly, like it to me, the biggest problem is that it was set when it was set. Had they just said it in 1958 and had the se- the second one be 1985, just like the book. It would have been fine. Yeah. You still get your 80s aesthetic and vibe. But it's like because of that, you know, you miss so many of those kingisms. Like you just miss. And I'm sorry, but I yeah. feel like that's like just it's so core to what it is. Yes. I don't know. Me. That's my take. So back to Pet Cemetery. No, back to- <laughs> well, we're talking king. I mean, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> now, I mean, I think it's fair to say we both love this film. This is. Well- yeah, of course. <laughs> what are the key moments in this for you? What are the key moments in this film for you? Honestly, I love the opening credits in that yeah. cemetery, and you can hear the kids reading off the little things. And if you really pay attention, you get Spot, which is, of course, Judd's dog. Mm. Uh, apparently, in that graveyard, you have to really look for it, is oh, I'm trying to remember what the name of the cat was, but the actual cat that church is based on was apparently King's daughter, Naomi, when they lived in the house where the pet cemetery was, they ended up burying it in the pet cemetery. It was killed by a truck. The yeah. same thing. It was around that whole time period um, that inspired him to write the story. Like apparently they even have a headstone in there for that cat. Wow. Which is awesome. So yeah, I just, the, the, the whole ambiance thing, cause it's, it's daylight. And that's the other thing is like that, that idea they talked about on, on horror movie podcast about the horror in the daylight. Mm. I know Jay, that was like when his big things, because it's it's hard to pull off. But I think this movie does, that, especially with the Victor Pascal when he's first brought up thing. It's yeah. like broad, light, brightly lit, and it just makes it so much more revolting. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, but just that graveyard, because it's like you could tell it's like it feels like it's maybe late afternoon. It's not dusk, but it's like maybe late afternoon, and just and I love the music. I love the way that's so haunting and yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, just all. Oh my gosh, there's so many moments. I mean, I know it sounds really jacked up to say that I love like the scene with the whole gauge thing, but because I, I always kind of like tighten up when I know it's coming. Yeah. But it's it gets me every freaking time. Um, Zelda is obviously nightmare fuel, oh. but I love it because it gets me every time. Yeah. <laughs> every time you mention it, I've gone oh. Oh yeah, and and I just I also one thing though I really appreciated this time around were the little moments between Judd and Lewis. Like yes. just their little that, conversations. That exchange on the porch between the yeah. two of them is just a brilliantly acted piece, and it's so simple. Simple, yeah. There is no, there's no tricks. There's no camera zooming around. You yeah. Know, if James Wan had made this, they'd be upside down. Yes. They'd be, you know, do you know what I mean? Judd would be pirouetted. I, I, that is a good example because, like, I appreciate a lot of his movies, but that need, to, like, I miss. The Carpenter, the John Carpenter, Dean Kundi school of filmmaking where there's a shot. Yes. <laughs> beautifully composed. Yes. And there's some slight tracking, maybe. Maybe maybe there's a slight pan or a tilt. Or there's uh, maybe we're going to go really crazy with it and, and have it like on, on like a, a boom or something, you know, like a crane. Yeah. We'll slowly. Dis- but. That's about the extent of it. It's not going to be this whip because you can now, right? And that's yeah. the thing is there's no friction. There's no thing, nothing stopping you from just doing whatever. Yeah. And so you do whatever. And that, But then as a result, I think that does affect just the tone and the rhythm and the soul of the piece. Yes, absolutely. And that's, and that, that, that's key to Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's the soul of it. It yes. is the... It is it, this. It's a film about guilt and grief 
and trauma. And, you know, for me, what really did it for me, and and it was just sort of just, is the little touches you talk like, and I'm I'm so glad you talked about, like, the names in the cemetery at the beginning. Mm -hmm. The scene where we get Rachel's nightmare and or she's where or and just or just after where she's in the parents' house and there's that freaky painting behind her. Yes. Yep. Th- that is based on a New England tradition. Talking about kingisms, there, there's that new, you know, obviously the Maine, Bangor, Maine, de- you know, all those kind of things, and it's she's dressed. The painting looks like Gage. The mm-hmm. child yeah, is dressed goes, like Zelda. Yeah. Yeah, but what would happen is, and this is a true story, is that because of the high mortality rate of children during the sort of eighteenth uh, and nineteenth century, the parents would actually commission photos of the children, uh, a picture paintings of the children in these strange get-ups. Um, so that is. It, and like Mary Lambert talked about this in one of her interviews, I think she did it for like Rolling Stone. But that painting, she talks about almost being like a conduit for some kind of evil spirit to be able to sort of torment Rachel. Mm-hmm. And that little bit of detail, and just that sort of that 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 little sort of you you, you look at it, you know it's off, mm-hmm. something's not right. Yep. And it and then we get the you know when we see a nightmare, all the painting, the pictures are slightly tilted. Yes. Yep. And we get a great tracking shot going through the stairs, up the stairs. And that's that, that, that's as complicated as it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to your point about how we constantly get those types of like things being off, the fact that when Rachel leaves yeah. and, and, and she runs past where that painting, I think, used to be, you see like a different one with two women. That's yeah. equally creepy. Yeah. Uh, but, but that when she was having the dream about Zelda and how she had to like pass under the stairs to get to the room, did you catch that the geography was very similar at Judd's house? Yes. Yes. She enters the house and hears the voice she th- thinks he's Gage, and and then she goes and she passes under some yeah. stairs to get to this, like almost like it's this little hidden room in the back. Yeah, yeah it's the hidden secret. It yeah. is that hidden secret, and it goes back to again that that idea that if you scratch the surface of these, you know, these almost picture perfect families, there's a dark secret lurking in the back, and their dark secret that's lurking in the back is their twisted daughter who's gone insane and they're leaving their eight-year-old daughter to look after it oh my god yes. just like oh and yet, it's so watchable yes <laughs> it wouldn't be you would yeah. think hey look again appreciate hereditary but it's it, i'm finding it hard to like go back and revisit it yes i don't think you know it's, it, it, i think what it is for me i i there's got to be this almost like fun quality there's gonna be this roller coaster element to it and Absolutely. if I, just, I feel like i'm falling 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 smash yes. i don't enjoy that yeah and i Over- don't i yeah i don't want my film to like i you know i quite like my film when it hits me with something i don't want my film then to beat me mercilessly with a sledgehammer yeah exactly exactly once in the head once in the forehead you know that's how you do the I'm kill the, in the house. sneaky groin shot hey the nods a game the nods a game that's true <laughs> But uh, yeah. yeah, so right here we go. Scores on the doors: one being the lowest, ten being the highest. Where would you come in on uh, Pet Cemetery? It's a ten for me. It's I, a ten. I, 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 you know, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's, it, it, it's a ten. Is it a perfect film? Absolutely not. No, 
but it is a 10 from for so many reasons that that we've just that we that we've listed and it's just it's so powerful it's so powerful yeah it is so powerful joel my friend yeah yeah and i really appreciate you inviting me on to talk about this movie again because i I, when you gave me like some movies to choose from and uh and 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 they're all good i just remember thinking you know if any there's a handful of movies that anytime i have an excuse (laughs) to just (laughs) just go on like an insane uh tirade about yes uh, is up there i was just about to say thank you so much for choosing this one because um Rewatching it again and researching and doing a little bit more research about it, and so I, I've got a, a whole new found respect for this film. Um, yeah, and I loved it before, and I certainly love it again. Um, so before we finally wrap everything up, where can the good people find you on the internet highway super thing and the, on, on the interwebs? On the interwebs, the... yeah. <laughs> well, I can be found uh, being the maestro of mayhem. I believe that's what you referred to it as. Yeah. Uh, at uh, Retro Movie Geek, RetroMovieGeek.com. Be sure to check that out. Peter, Daryl, and uh, our, our ever-revolving door of guests, uh, of which Hugh has, has been been on a couple times. We'll hopefully have you on again in the very near future. Just call uh, and I'm coming running. Awesome. And uh, Terror on the Tube, which is uh, another show that Peter and I do together, along with Hal- Allison, the horror unicorn uh, <laughs> of uh, Haunted Davenport. Uh, we, we talk about TV, made-for-TV horror movies from the 70s, 80s, and I, I, I need to stop saying occasionally because I think we've only done one. <laughs> I would say from 91, uh, from the 90s. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that one's been a lot of fun because it just gives an opportunity to, to find a lot of movies that either I've never, the vast majority of them I've never even heard of. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not that long ago we did Killdozer, which I never I was saw- about to say, you ki- oh my God, I went, I, I went back and watched Killdozer. Yeah. Wow. It, it's something. <laughs> They made a film. They uh, did. Yes, they made a movie. It involves a killer bulldozer. Uh, again, though, it's like a movie that's way beyond not perfect. Uh, but yeah, I, I some reason just kind of enjoyed it. I yeah. gotta be honest. There's something about it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, check out Terror on the Tube and of course Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horrormoviepodcast.com. Go check that out. Um, with uh, Wolfman Josh and Dave Dr. Shock Becker. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting. Oh, it, uh, uh, the Werewolf, the TV series podcast that I did with my good friend Hammond. Uh, he and I did a podcast years ago called uh, the Booth at the End podcast, where it was based on a, a web series that was a fantastic web series. Um, but uh, Werewolf, the TV series, the the show from the late '80s. I don't know. Did you ever get to see that, Hugh? I don't know. No, I don't it. think we had. I don't think we got it in the UK. I don't think okay. we managed well, to get it in the UK. My like interest they, is peaked, though. Okay. Well, hypo- hypothetically. Uh, I made no way of uh, hooking you up. Just well, if yeah. we're talking hypothetic, yes, why not? <laughs> yeah, hypothetically, of course, total hypothetical. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a great show. It, it actually has a, in my opinion, one of the greatest where practical werewolves ever, like ever ever. It's up there. It's 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 up there. It's one of the best suits. Uh, Rick Baker, I think, helped design it initially. Yeah. Um, and like Greg Canham, I believe it was Greg Canham was involved in the effect. It's like, mm. it's very, because it's like to see a lot of people who early in their career, um, guy, uh, Magar directed a couple episodes. He did stepfather three, which I am a fan of judge me if you will. <laughs> <laughs> that, movie that falls into the uh, bucket we were talking about earlier. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, check all of the, 
close out. And again, Hugh, man, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. Dialchenvaro, thank you so much for coming on. I really, honestly, it's been a joy. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. You're welcome, my friend. Thank you. As always, I want to say an enormous thank you to the wonderful, and as I described in the Maestro of Mayhem over at Retro Movie Geek, the one, the only, Joel. Thank you so much, my friend, for being on. I can't wait to get you back on soon. Um, And that is it on this episode. Um, We're going to be slowly edging our way back in, and fingers crossed we will be able to get more of the Wookiee Watched uh, back on the airways very, very soon. But thank you for being patient with us. It's good to be back and recording. Um, So... I would just like to say, in the immortal words of Count Duckula, good night out there, whatever you